Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. We're glad that you're here. Uh, all of you here in the room and those of you joining us online, we're glad you're with us also. We'd like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a really long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We believe that's true, that the Lord meets us right here, right now, right where we live. So let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. Thank you, God. Uh, thank you for loving us and inviting us into this time, this hour, where we can uh, focus our hearts and our thoughts on you, where we can open our lives up to you so that you can give us the grace that we need, the strength that we need, the comfort that we need, the hope that we need. God, you know all the stuff that we bring into this time, uh, all the things that weigh on our hearts, all the things that, uh, that weigh us down. Today, God, we are grateful uh, that you are able to lift us up, that you are able to, uh, to take our burdens, that you are able to change our circumstances, that you are able to walk with us through them. Thank you, God. Thank you for today. Thank you for this chance to sing to you and pray to you, and to listen for your spirit speaking through the scriptures, to gather around the table of our Lord Jesus. We are grateful for all of it, and we look forward to connecting with you today. Help us to be open to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're able, if you're interested, let's stand and let's sing as we begin. Thank you. 
would be blessed be your name blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering though there's pain in the offering blessed be your name every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea. Oh. 
Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. Join me in praying, if you would, please. Lord, I just thank you for the peace that only comes from you. For those times when we find ourselves overwhelmed by things that are going on around us. By the, the waves of this ocean that we live in, Lord, that when we look at them, they look like we could never surmount, that we're never going to make it. But Lord, it is well. It is well with our souls because you are in the storms with us. You are in life with us. You're, you're walking with us. You are, you're just there, Father. We might not always know it. We might not always see it. We might not always feel it, Lord. But the fact is that you are there with us. And oh, the peace that comes from that, Father. That no matter what happens, you are pouring out your love and your blessings upon us. We thank you this morning for that fact, Lord, regardless of how it feels. We thank you for your love and your abundance and for your blessings upon each and every one of us. Lord, may, may in the midst of the storms of our lives, may we take the time to really look and really see the blessings that come from only from you. And in doing so, Lord, help it to change our perspective and to really see you for who you are, not just for what you do for us. Father, we thank you for this morning, for every person gathered here in this building who's gathering with us online now or even a little later, Lord. We're so thankful that they're part of us and that you are in this place, inviting us into your presence. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to hear from you this morning. Open, open our hearts and minds to, to take in what it is that you have to teach us this morning, to challenge us maybe this morning, Lord. But regardless, I ask for your um, anointing on Pastor Rich this morning as he brings your word to us. We're so thankful. And for all these things, we pray in your name, giving you honor and glory and blessing. Amen and amen. Well, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves. Okay. See if I can remember everything I'm supposed to remember this morning. Uh, like, good morning. Uh, good to be with you. Uh, glad to have you here. Uh, the, with the change to summer schedules, it's always a little bit... Some of you have similar things where your life has shifted now, right? From school schedule to summer schedule, and uh, that's true in our family. And uh, yeah, some mornings it's like, wait, what day is this now? What's, what's happening? Where am I? Um, <clears throat> it's Sunday. Glad to be here with you. And uh, if you would like to connect with us and share with us how we can pray for you or thank God for you along with you, uh, or you have a question or, or feedback, Back, anything like that. Uh, if you're in the room here, you can grab one of those little green cards and drop it in the box, or you can grab your smartphone and all of you watching online, you could go to livinghope.info slash connect and fill out a little digital connect card and uh, let us know uh, whatever it is you want to let us know. So especially for those of you who are connecting with us online, uh, we would love to hear from you just to make sure that we stay connected to you because we didn't get to just shake your hand or give you a hug or anything uh, these last couple of minutes. Um, now next week, there are a couple things coming up. Actually, at the end of this week, uh, we've got another bike giveaway happening out in the parking lot this coming Saturday from 9 to noon. Um, I just saw on Facebook... What was that, late last night or this morning or sometimes? One of those Facebook groups, you know, where people share all kinds of stuff. It was one of those local groups. And somebody had taken a picture of our sign that uh, talks about the bikes and had spread the word. And, um, and so I was able to chime in and say, hey, we're happy to host this once a month. It's really the folks from the Oddfellows and Greg Sims. They're the ones that do the actual work of receiving bikes and fixing them up and donating them away. Uh, he said they gave away 25 bikes back in May when they were here. Who knows how many they'll give away this Saturday. But if you know someone who needs a bike, or if you have a bike to donate, uh, you can bring it Saturday. That'd be wonderful. And then next Sunday, in between the services, we're having breakfast again. So Howard and his crew are going to be making breakfast and serving it to us in between the services. So hopefully you will be here and um, make plans to be hungry 
uh, after this service, or if uh, it's the folks in the next service, I always have to remind, or uh, if any of you watching are planning to be here in person next week, uh, because you got to show up at 10 instead of 10.30 uh, in order to catch the food. They'll have plenty of it. If you show up at 10.15, you're fine, but if you show up at 10.30, you kind of missed it. They've already put it all away. So, and then uh, the Unity Cafe uh, has moved to their summer schedule uh, where they are uh, just meeting on Fridays. So the Wednesday during the day, uh, Unity Cafe is not happening over the summer, uh, and they're just here Friday nights. They've got a recovery group meets at 4.30 and a free meal at 5.30, and uh, it's great to, to see all the people coming and going. And if you want to be a part of that, you can show up on Friday. It's free and open to anybody. Oh, and if you want to help serve a meal, provide a meal sometime, uh, Sam Burgett, who runs that, would be happy to talk with you. Uh, so that's one of those things you can let us know. Say, hey, put me in touch with Sam. I'd like to, you know, our family, or we've got a group of us, we'd like to prepare a meal and bring it some Friday night. Uh, she would love to, to have you be a part of that. All right. Um, <clears throat> today is, uh, we, get, we get to start a new series, and it's a new month. We're starting a new book of the Bible. And this one is for all of you who, uh, maybe one of the songs we sang earlier you, you struggled with. Uh, because you walk in and we sing these songs that are about how good God has been and giving thanks or those sorts of things, and, and you think, yeah, that's not me. Uh, sometimes we walk into church on a Sunday morning and it's like, no, no, you don't get it. Life is not going well. Uh, in fact, I'm questioning whether God is even up there uh, or if he is, if he is fair, if he is doing what's right, uh, because life doesn't seem fair right now. And uh, I know some of you are in places like that because you tell me, because uh, you sometimes are courageous enough to speak up and say it. Like, why is God, I feel like God's punishing me. Uh, or it feels like God's just, you know, ignoring me. Uh, I've been praying and been trying to do what's right, and still I'm going through this, 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 one of these different things that life throws our way. Um, and uh, this, especially like uh, last month, as we were looking at the book of Deuteronomy, where um, God, through Moses, is telling the people, look, if you'll just follow me and trust me in the days ahead, you'll be blessed, and I'll pour out all these blessings on you. And if you disobey me, then you'll be cursed, and all these negative consequences will happen. Um, sometimes we read that in the Bible, and, uh, and we think, well, I guess I'm cursed. You know? or, or, or it feels like this doesn't make sense because I haven't done anything to deserve what's coming my way, so maybe I just can't trust the Bible. Uh, if it says that good people get rewarded and bad people are punished, well, that's not what I see when I look around. I see plenty of, you know, scoundrels doing great and, you know, good, honest, hardworking people like me. We're always in the good, honest, hardworking people, right, uh, in, in the stories we tell ourselves. You know, we, we aren't getting ahead or we're not uh, doing well or life is just really, really bad. We're, we're looking at a guy named Job and his book. It's in the middle of our Bibles, right before the book of Psalms. And uh, to introduce it, I'm going to let the, the fine folks from the Bible Project uh, share with us. It's about a six-minute video that just gives the big picture overview of the book of Job. All right, let's watch together. There are three books in the Bible known as the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. The first, Proverbs, showed us that God is wise and just. Yeah, we learned that God has ordered the world so that it's fair. The righteous are rewarded, the wicked are punished. In other words, you get what you deserve. But then we meet Ecclesiastes who observes, well, people don't always get what they deserve. Uh, yeah, he said the world isn't always fair, that life is unpredictable and hard to comprehend, just like smoke. And this makes you wonder, okay, well, is God wise and just? Exactly. And so it's that question that is being explored in the final book of wisdom, Job. All right, let's dive in. So Job begins with a strange story that takes place up in the heavens, which are described something like a heavenly command center. So God is there with these angelic creatures called the sons of God, and they're all there reporting for duty. And God points out this guy Job, his servant, showing how righteous and good he is. And then one of these angelic creatures approaches. He's referred to in Hebrew as the Satan. The Satan? Who is this? Well, this word is actually a title, which literally means the one who is opposed. So out of this whole crew, he is the one questioning how God is running the world. And he proposes that Job might not actually love God, that he's only a good person because God rewards him. If God were to take away all of the good things he gave to Job, then we would see his true colors. So he thinks Job is just working the system? 
That's exactly right. Maybe he's obeying just to get what he wants. So God agrees to this experiment and allows the Satan to inflict suffering on Job. And Job loses everyone and everything that he cares about. It is devastating. And remember, he deserves none of this. God himself said so. The remarkable thing is that in the midst of all this suffering, Job still praises God. At least for chapters one and two. But then in chapter three, we find out how he's really feeling inside. He unleashes this poem that reveals this devastation. It's a long, elaborate curse on the day that he was born. After this, some of Job's friends come to visit him to offer their help. And all of them are like, Job, you must have done something horribly wrong to deserve this. After all, we know God is just, and we know the world is ordered by God's justice and fairness, so you must be getting what you deserve. And for the next 34 chapters, the friends and Job go back and forth in very dense Hebrew poetry. His friends keep speculating about why God might have sent such suffering, and they even start making up lists of hypothetical sins that Job must have committed. But after each accusation, Job defends his innocence. And Job is innocent. He is. He's also on an emotional roller coaster. At some moments, he's very confident that God is still wise and just. Yeah, in other moments, he's doubting God's goodness. He even comes to accuse God of being reckless, unfair, and corrupt. So by the end of the dialogue, Job demands that God come and explain himself in person, and God does so. He comes in the form of a great storm cloud. Now, God doesn't give Job a direct answer. He doesn't tell Job about the conversation with the Satan. Yeah, he does something very different. He takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe. He shows Job how grand the world is, and he asks him if he's even capable of running it or understanding it just for a day. He shows Job how much detail there is in the world, things that we might see every day but really don't understand at all. But God does. He knows it all intimately. He pays attention to the beauty and operations of the universe in ways that we haven't even imagined and in places that we will never see. Then to conclude, God shows Job two wondrous beasts and brags about how great they are. Yeah, they are dangerous. I mean, they would kill you without even thinking about it. And God says they're not evil. They're actually a part of his good world. And then that's it. That's God's whole defense. It's kind of weird. I mean, what was this all about? It seems to be this. From Job's point of view, it looks like God is not just. But God's perspective is infinitely bigger. He's dynamically interacting with a whole universe of complexity when he makes decisions. And this is what God calls his wisdom. So Job asking God to defend himself is actually kind of absurd. He couldn't comprehend this kind of complexity even if he wanted to. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves Job in a place of humility. He never learned why he suffered, and yet he's able to live in peace and in the fear of the Lord. But that's not where the book ends, because after this, God restores to Job double everything he had lost. And this, again, is surprising. I mean, is this a reward? Is God saying, congratulations, Job, you passed this elaborate test? No, I mean, the whole book just made the point that Job losing everything was not a punishment, and so now getting it back isn't a reward. So why does he get it back? Well, apparently, God, in his wisdom, decided to give Job a gift. We don't know why. But what we do know is that Job is now the kind of person who, no matter what comes, good or bad, he can trust God's wisdom. And that's the book of Job and the end of our wisdom series. These biblical books of wisdom are amazing. Each one offers a unique perspective on the good life, and you need to hear all of them together as you learn to live with wisdom and in the fear of the Lord. Yeah, so obviously that's part of a larger series that they did on three books of the Bible. All of them, uh, they're called the, the wisdom literature. You know, some books of the Bible tell a story, it's a narrative, uh, some Parts of the Bible, as we've seen, are, are laws and instructions. Uh, some parts of the Bible are wisdom literature, literature to be read and reflected on, to understand how does the world work and what is going on 
And what is going on? Boy, we can hear the sirens uh, going by outside. Um, we always encourage our boys to, to pray when they hear sirens to, that God will help the officers or uh, the, the emergency workers of whatever stripe uh, to do their work well and to be able to help uh, whoever's in need. And so I've been kind of praying that in the back of my head as I've been, we were hearing those sirens go off. But, um, so the book of Job is, is a part of this literature. We don't know for sure if, uh, if Job is about a historical individual who actually lived or if this is like one big elaborate parable uh, to tell the story. Uh, either way, uh, whether he actually walked the earth or whether this is uh, uh, a, a giant parable, um, the, the point is the same. Uh, it's still this, this uh, detailed reflection on suffering. And as the video just mentioned, you know, my apologies, uh, we are not going to be able to give you an answer for why suffering happens. It's just a reality of life. Um, as, as it mentioned, what Job encounters at the end is the presence of God and God speaking to him and God showing up, which is a beautiful thing and is a good reason when you are struggling to be honest with God and to turn toward God instead of turning away from him in the midst of it, because it's in turning toward God through it all that Job finally has this amazing encounter with God that he, I'm guessing, wouldn't have had if he had just taken his uh, his wife's advice to just curse God and die uh, if he had just uh, given up on the whole project. Uh, so if you find yourself in the midst of struggle, Job is a worthwhile book to wrestle with. But I want you to know up front, it's not going to, if you're in it to, to try to find the answer for, okay, so why is all this happening? It, it doesn't give that to us. It does, though, give us a path to, to walk down, uh, to struggle with, uh, with our suffering, with our understanding, to even struggle with God. I love the way they portrayed Job just raging in the middle of that because that's what we see. Not, not at the beginning. The beginning of the book, there, it, Job is uh, it's a little bit like reading Shakespeare at times uh, because the vast majority of it is written in poetry. Uh, there's this little two-chapter beginning that's just kind of a story, and then there's like chapter after chapter after chapter of Job speaking, and then a friend speaking, and then Job speaking, and then a friend speaking, and then Job speaking, and then a friend speaking, and they just talk back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and they're speaking in poetry, which is one reason that a lot of uh, people think, this seems like some kind of a stage play that like would be put on as a, as a way to reflect on this. Um, and then at the end, God shows up and speaks in more poetry, and there's this tiny little tag, little epilogue at the end. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of uh, TV shows or movies, actually. I was thinking about movies where you got this two, two-and-a-half-hour movie, and, you know, sometimes there's this little scene at the beginning, a little five-minute scene that kind of gives you this important bit of backstory that you need in order to know who this person is uh, for the rest of the movie, like some little moment that happens when they're a kid or something. I'm thinking of uh, my... Sorry. I'm a Marvel movie nerd, and so I'm thinking of, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, and in the first movie, there's this little bit where he's a little boy, and his mom dies, and then the aliens come and snatch him away, and then the whole rest of the movie is him as a grown-up, you know, out in the universe with these aliens and doing all this stuff. It's a fun movie. Sorry, some of you are looking at me like I'm an alien right now, but uh, this little, you need the little five-minute bit at the beginning to kind of kick off the story, and that's what we have in the first two chapters of Job. We get introduced to Job, and we get introduced to this, this heavenly court and God having this conversation with the Satan, the accuser, the opposer. And, uh, and at this point in the Hebrew Bible, there's not this sense that, like, the Satan or the accuser uh, or the opponent, that he's evil. He's just one of God's heavenly court, and he's got a role to play. Um, but we should, we should read. Okay, chapter 1 of Job. It says, In the land of Uz, Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Not Job, all right? It's Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Um, I had to cut some little bits out of your notes there. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. He went out of his way uh, to make sure that, that he and his family were on good terms with God. Shift of scene. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, or the Satan, or the accuser, 
also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Just brief, brief side note about that hedge thing. Uh, some of you, uh, maybe, maybe you've heard some Christians talk about uh, a hedge of protection or praying for God to put a hedge of protection around someone. That, that idea comes from, like, this passage, for example. I think there's one other one, too, um, where he's saying, look, you've, you've, like, put a hedge around him. You've protected him from, from danger, from evil. Um, but if you take that away, if you let him suffer, eh, he'll curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. All right, so we've, we've had introduction to who Job is. We've got this picture of the heavenly court. And, um, and the setting, sorry, I forgot to say this, the setting for the, this play, uh, the setting for the book of Job seems to be back in the time of like Abraham and the patriarchs. There's no mention of the nation of Israel. There's no mention of Jerusalem or a temple or any of the commands that God has given. Um, Job offers sacrifices himself, much like Abraham and the patriarchs did way back in the book of Genesis. So it's set way back then, but the people who read this in the original languages in the Hebrew, they say, but it uses words that, that weren't in common usage until much, much later. Um, and so we don't know when exactly it was written. Like I said, we don't know exactly if it's a, about a historical person or not. Um, there's a lot we don't know about the book of Job, uh, but we do know that people have found it helpful for wrestling with how do I handle it when, when life falls apart. So, it says, one day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Bam, 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 just right in a row. One hasn't even finished speaking before someone else is running up with terrible news. Everything falls apart for Job in an instant. It says, at this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. These are signs of, of mourning, of deep grief. I'm glad they said this because what happens next makes me wonder if Job is actually feeling any of this. It says, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That's the source for the, one of the songs that we sang earlier. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. That's, that's that right there. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That's the end of, of chapter 1, end of that scene. Man, initially, Job's response, like I said, I'm glad that they show him, like, tearing his robe, shaving his head, you know, going through the... the emotions of grieving because otherwise I would think dude how do you, I, I wouldn't respond that way you know if all of a sudden everything I had and my family were just wiped out and I was left with nothing I, I wouldn't be like hey you know what God gave me all that he took it all away I'm just gonna praise God anyway uh no all right that that is not at all how I would respond I don't think it's how any of us would respond I'm very glad the story doesn't end there, or Job would be this character that none of us can relate to. 
The second chapter begins, and it it begins much like the first one. Um, I don't think I have this on the screen or in the notes. It just starts out again. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Same thing, wandering around. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? And he just points out Job again. Like, hey, he's still being faithful. And Satan says, uh, well, skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he'll surely curse you to your face. So God says, okay, he's in your hands, but you have to spare his life. And it says, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Now, the sitting among the ashes is a sign of grief. That's still, he's still grieving the loss of everything, and now he's got painful something all over. And uh, I've not experienced anything remotely like this. I know some of you live with chronic pain, and you're like, ah, okay. I can the closest I can come is like, you know, mosquito bites and poison ivy and stuff like that, where it's just like, ah, I can't stop scratching. It's just, it's, you know, driving me insane, which I know is a pale comparison to what some of you go through on a daily basis. My apologies. It's kind of the closest I can come. He's taking a piece of broken pottery and just scraping himself with it. The only brief relief he's getting. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He's got one family member left, I suppose. Not very helpful. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? So again, he's saying like, look, God gave me good. Now God's giving me trouble. Am I supposed to reject this? It says, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. I got to say, this is not somebody I can relate to easily, but I know that some of you can. I know that some of you have gone through, you've had moments in your life, maybe you're in the middle of one right now, maybe it's something that's in your past where you've said, yep, I've been there, I, I lost it all, lost my job, lost my relationship, lost my house, lost my health. This is something that, and, and we find ourselves asking, like, what, what's going on? Why? So the last little part of the intro, before it launches into the, uh, what are they called, soliloquies, monologues, where, they, where they're doing all the talking in poetry, it mentions Job's friends. It says, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, when they heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. I think of that little part of the passage sometimes whenever I go to a funeral or visitation or something like that. Uh, we were just at one yesterday. Uh, Sharon Selane, Dan and Sharon helped us start this church back in 2000. They were part of our parent church in Portage. They helped us get it started. I'm pretty sure we still have a serving spoon in our kitchen that says Selane on the handle uh, because she was very involved with preparing food and, and all of that. Dan was the first guy to stand behind the soundboard in the back just until we had somebody else that could do it, uh, just so that somebody you know, could make things go. And uh, they were part of our church's life for, you know, I can't remember how long, before they kind of went back to our parent church. And, and then they've been helping another church uh, in South Haven, Renovation Church, a sister church of ours. Uh, they've been helping them for the last several years. And, and then as they've gotten older, their health has declined, and especially hers and she passed away in April. They just did a service yesterday and a celebration of her life. And uh, whenever I'm at one of those, you know, I, I kind of think, you know, it's not, like, it's not like I have words that can help right now, you know. It's just our presence. It's just us being there that is comforting, that helps them know, look, I'm grieving with you. You know, your heart is broken and my, my heart breaks with yours. I'm sorry that you're going through this. And Job's friends uh, did well. For seven days, they did great. The rest of the book, not so much. As we saw in the video, uh, once they start talking, 
then they're telling Job, like, hey, man, uh, you must, what did you do to tick God off? You know, what, what did you do? You must have done something. Because we know. We've read our Bibles. We've read Proverbs. We've read Deuteronomy. We know what the Bible says, that God blesses good people, and it's bad people that get bad stuff that happens. You're having bad stuff happen. We know God is just, so what did you do? Just fess up. Just admit it. Tell God you're sorry so that maybe he can take away your pain and, and restore you. And Job, throughout the book, maintains that I haven't done anything to deserve this. And finds their uh, accusations extremely unhelpful. This, this is just maybe, maybe one of these messages this month will be uh, uh, like what not to say to, to friends in pain. All right? Uh, because they give us a, a lesson on that one. They do great when they're just with him, sympathizing, grieving. Uh, but after that, not so much. But they don't talk first. Job speaks first. And so chapter 3 begins all the poetry. And the, the first things that Job says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, uh, when I, he starts out saying, may the day of my birth perish. And the night that said, a boy is conceived, that day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. He's just like, I wish, I wish that day was just ripped from the calendar. At one point he says, may those who curse, curse on that day. You know, curse that day. Um, he, just, he wishes he was never born. Uh, verse 11, I put in your notes, he says, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? At uh, verse 20, he says, why is light given to those in misery? And life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come. Okay, little Zen master Job who's like sitting back and saying, hey, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Praise God no matter what. He is, he's gone, all right? Uh, apparently, after a week of this, Job is finally, like the, the truth of this seems like it's coming out. You know, the, the pain of it is finally uh, settling in or something. And Job gets real honest for the rest of the book about his grief, about his pain, about how unfair this all seems to be. But what he doesn't do is turn away from God. He gets angry with God. He accuses God of being unfair he demands that God show up and answer him for what he's done to him. But he never just, like his wife said, just like curse God and die. He never just gives up on the whole thing. And he never doubts that God is in charge. He never says like, well, maybe God's not really in charge after all. Maybe it's some capricious God over here. Maybe, it's, maybe we've been wrong uh, and it's not this God. Maybe it's some other God that's really in charge. One of those angry gods that our neighbors serve and sacrifice to. He continues to turn his complaint toward God, but, but he complains. Uh, I have pointed to Job over and over and over again over the last 23 years of leading this church. Whenever I encounter somebody who's just angry with God and struggling with it, because um, I encourage them, I just I encourage you today, be honest with God about that. Let, let God have it. Complain. Uh, be angry. You know, don't, don't hold back. Uh, don't, don't let this be something that turns you away from God, although I understand when, it, when people make that choice. When what you've been promised all along is, look, do the right thing and good things will happen to you. When terrible things happen, it feels like a betrayal. And Job feels betrayed. He wishes he were dead. And some of you can very clearly relate. But he doesn't give up. And I encourage you to do that, to do the same, to not give up. Now, if you need a friend to come alongside you and you don't have an Eliphaz or a Bildad or a Zophar that have shown up already to come and sit alongside you, um, obviously you know there are numbers you can call. 988 is one of those. They'll connect you with a, like a, some, a voice, a friendly person, someone who will talk with you when you're feeling like you want to die. Um, if you need a friend, there are people here, myself included, who would be happy to come alongside you and grieve with you 
and listen as you pour out your complaint, as you are honest with God and with yourself and with others about what life is really like. I know there's a, a tendency, a temptation, you know, to, to show up at church and be like, nah, uh, I just got to put on the happy face, you know. That's why, that's why some folks don't show up like you've shown up today. It might be why you're watching online right now, because you couldn't bear to put on the happy face and to show up. Um, and I can understand not wanting, you know, when you just are seeing people for a few minutes and you're shaking their hand and they're smiling real big and saying, hey, how's it going? It's a lot easier just to say, oh, it's good. Or to say, hanging in there. Or to say, oh, I'm doing okay. You know, to say something that you, know, you don't want to just bleed all over people, Right? understand that but if you need someone that you can bleed on someone you can talk to someone you can lay out your complaint to this church is full of people who are willing to do that willing to sit with you while you hurt while you question while you wrestle and hopefully we'll be wise enough uh, to have learned from Job and from his friends not to try to explain it all away for you, not to try to just make everything better. Hopefully, we'll be willing to, to listen. Sorry, I interrupted him. We can't listen to his whole thing. Uh, by the end of his initial complaint, he says, uh, why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? It's, it's funny to me. He used that same like picture but now, instead of thinking like, oh, God placed a hedge on me to protect me from evil, now he's like, I'm trapped by God. He's hedged me in. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. That's, that's where I'm leaving it this morning. I mean, we're, we're not jumping all the way to the end to resolution. Um, but the video already showed us where it goes, right? Where the book of Job is headed to. Because Job is honest, because he pours out his complaint to God, to his friends, because he doesn't give up, in the end, God shows up. Job has an encounter with God that is beyond anything he had had previously in his life. He knows God in a deeper way than he did at the beginning of the story. And that is something that's held out for all of us. I don't want to call it a promise, but, but that's, that's the wisdom that the book of Job has to share. That if we will wrestle, if we will complain, if we will be honest... I mean, what I've seen from people in my own life, God shows up. And we might not get all our questions answered. We might not ever understand why life has gone the way it has. But we will know God is with us. And we will know his, his presence, his strength, and, in fact, often, his continued blessing. And that's where I hope you will get to. I hope that you will continue that journey. I hope that you won't give up along the way, but that with God's help and with the help of people around you, you'll continue. <laughs> you'll be honest. Be willing to complain so that God can answer. Uh, in just a second, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. You know, communion, where we celebrate each week that God has joined us in our suffering. We take bread and juice, we offer them to God, and we invite God to make them for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. To encounter Jesus in his suffering, in his brokenness, where he meets us. God is not absent from us. When we are going, when life falls apart, when we are when we are suffering, when we are dying, God meets us there.
to give us his grace, his strength, his life. Let's bow our heads and pray to him. God, thank you. Thank you for including a book like Job in our Bibles. Not just leaving us with books like Proverbs and Deuteronomy that, um, that give us the general truth that, yes, it is better to trust you and to follow you. That generally speaking, life goes so much better when we are going with the grain of the universe that you've created instead of going against it. God, we are happy to enjoy your blessings. At the same time, God, we, we acknowledge that there are times when that, that just don't make sense to us, that don't match neatly this, our, our idea of, of justice, fairness. There are times when we suffer and we cannot pinpoint a good explanation for it. And we're not sure how to, how to make our way through it. So God, for all of us who are going through that experience currently in our lives, I pray that you will make your presence known to us. Perhaps through some friends who are willing to sit and not try to fix everything, but just to sit in solidarity with us, suffer alongside us, sympathize. God, by the presence of the Spirit of Christ, would you help us to, to be aware of you present with us in our suffering so that we know we're not alone, so that even though it might not make sense, we, we find in you the strength not to give up, the strength to continue. Help us, God, to be honest with you, with ourselves, with each other, not to just put on a happy face, not just to swallow it, not just to pretend. God, help us to be honest so that we can truly encounter you. God, for all of us who, uh, we're not going through that right now, but we have friends who are, we see people, we know people who are in the midst of pain. Would you help us to come alongside them? Would you help us to allow your grace to flow through us even, even though we don't know the right words to say? even though we don't know how to help. God, would you help us not to, not to keep our distance? Or would you help us to be willing to, to come close so that your grace might be felt through us? You have come close to us, God. We celebrate this in the sacrament of Holy Communion. You have entered into our brokenness and in solidarity with us, you, you joined us in our broken humanity and experienced the brokenness of our sin and the death that it brings. God, we offer to you these gifts of bread and juice, and we do pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We offer you ourselves, and we pray that as we are honest with you about our need for your grace and your help, as we're honest with you about the ways we have fallen short, We've not loved you with all of who we are, God. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We need your forgiveness. We need your grace. We need your strength. Thank you, God, that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Thank you that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just. You forgive us our sin, sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today, God, would you remind us that you have washed us and made us clean? Would you help us uh, to experience in this moment your grace by your Spirit's work within us? God, we ask that you would change us from the inside out to be a people who can love you, who can live in this world as the, as the broken body of Christ. Thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The musicians are going to come and, and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. Uh, today, Ryan Cotton's going to come and help me serve communion. Um, He's going to be holding the basket of bread, and I'm going to be holding juice. And as, uh, as we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice, and eat it, and then return to your seats. Uh, it's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today, who are hungry for his grace, who are grateful for his love. We've got the, the regular bits of pita bread and the little round gluten-free wafers, and we've got the little cups. And uh, if you can't come forward, don't want to come forward, but you would like to celebrate, we've got the cups at the tables, and you can peel them back and get to the bread and the juice as we celebrate today. So let's give God thanks. Uh, let's celebrate his love. So Thank you, Lord Jesus, for meeting us at your table, for the gift of grace, the gift of life, that as we turn our eyes toward you, we see that you, well, your face is full of love for us. Help us to receive your grace, to receive your love, especially, God, those of us who are in the midst of suffering. Would you help us to have the strength to carry on? Would you help us to be honest with ourselves and with each other? 
would you lead us through safely to the other side? Because we see in you, Lord Jesus, that death does not have the final say. But the love of God, the grace of God, the life of God is what is what has the final say in the end. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Mm. And before you go, I forgot. Uh, if you have not already met Romeo, Marcinkowski right here, uh, Romeo is... Uh, is taking the reins, leading the youth ministry here at Living Hope. So if you haven't met him yet, I'd encourage you, shake his hand, welcome him.